Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, uh, this past weekend was the 4th of July. Me and the lovely Joanne went out to Malibu for the day. And, you know, both growing up in New Jersey, we're used to the New Jersey beaches. But I got to tell you, you know, I expected more from Malibu. Like, when you go to Santa Monica, people show up and wearing jeans and they bring pizza on the beach. It's just a crazy thing. But Malibu was the same thing. And it's like, we wonder why in this country so many kids are fat. I saw these kids in front of me eating, like, like the parents burned them. The kid's like three years old and she's fat. And it's not her fault. You feel bad. And she's eating like, they're eating fried chicken and old McDonald's and they're drinking soda and eating Doritos. And it's like, come on, man. And the girls next to us, they had like so much food. It looked like hometown buffet. So I don't know how you do it. You go to the beach, you eat a snack, you hang out, you don't make sandwiches, you don't bring pizza, which people brought pizza, which makes no sense because that's the last thing I want on a hot beach day, hot, greasy food. It was just awful. So that was my beach story this week. And so I, I want to go back to New Jersey to go to the beaches. I just have no trips planned. My next trip is going to be to see the Philadelphia Eagles play the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals in October in uh, Phoenix. Just booked a flight today, so I'm psyched about that. And enough about me. We have a great guest. I, I had a problem with getting booking today. I had to, The computers went down, as you know, I wasn't on last week. I was scrambling around, and thank God Patrick O'Sullivan, who just so you know, Patrick always gets a uh, the obligatory shout-out. Very cool. Uh, he called me and got Dante. Now, it's Bosco or Bosco? Uh, Bosco. Bosco. Either or, Dante Bosco. We got Dante. How are you doing, Dante? I'm doing well. It's Missing those beaches in the East Coast, huh? Yes. So wait, so you, you, you just got back from Australia. I just got from uh, back from Australia. It's winter there, so it's cold. I was in uh, Melbourne. Not Melbourne. They're, I got the whole Australia pronunciation uh, guide when I was down there. So it's not Australia. It's Australia. Okay. It's not Melbourne. It's Melbourne. I'm like, thank you. But I'm going to be on the East Coast uh, in about two weeks on a New Jersey beach, Brigantine, Brigantine I, Island. I went to college 10 minutes from Brigantine. I went to Richard Stockton College, which you're going to be heard on. So I'm going to tell people, what are you going to be doing in Brigantine? So uh, every year, uh, me and my fiance, uh, we, we have like a, we do like an East Coast vacation, right? So we have really close friends of our family um, from upstate, from uh, Endicott upstate. Shout out to the Lupos. And we stay with them. Uh, 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 they have a place on Brigantine Island. Okay. So uh, we stay with uh, them and at, at the beach over there. And it is a totally different feeling on the East Coast, on the beach, but really beautiful. Really, uh, the boardwalks are cool. You know, I like to gamble, so spend a little time in Atlantic City. But just kind of hanging out on that beach on Brigantine, it's a whole different it's a whole different vibe than L.A. Yeah, it's what it is. It's so weird. It's, it's uh, one, because the water's so warm. And, and the thing is... Everyone, because if you grow up back east, you know, where you grew up out here, I know you're from yeah. Pittsburgh, California. We're Pittsburgh, California, yeah. But you grew up in California, and I grew, I moved out here 13 years ago. And what happens is, it's always nice here. My girlfriend just moved out here right, from New right. Jersey. You know, you grew up, you don't know what snow is, you don't know what nah, weather is. No, we don't know stuff. Well, back east, it's so bad most of the time. The weather's awful. Even, like, in the summer, it rains a lot. That when people get to go to the beach, like, it's from Memorial Day to Labor Day, it's like Mecca. Right, so right, people right. go, and they go out to have fun. They don't go out, you know, they go out, and they relax, and they and it's just different. And, you know, and now the thing for you must be weird is you have to pay to go to the beaches. Yeah, pay. Well, we didn't pay, but we had, but everyone had a pass. Right, beach tags yeah which i'm like what is a beach tag and they're going around checking people's beach tag i'm yeah. like this is super weird that's yeah, so what i always talk to people from california too they're like wait you know so we went down you know you pay for the beach tag and growing up there you know all the tricks like when the beach tiger comes you run into the ocean or you act like you're asleep but yeah for california I mean, the beaches you don't have to pay to go on a beach Nah, but the, the yeah the Schofields and lupos that we're with but they have a beach tag i was wondering the first time i was there i was like what is this this feels very discriminatory now when are you, when are you going out of towners where are you going? Uh, I'll be in New York from the 19th of July to, you know, I, th I mean, like something like that, like 10 days. Okay, cool. So now, what were you, what were you doing in Australia? Australia. Uh, Wait, uh, Australia. 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 I was actually out there uh, making an appearance uh, at Oz, the Oz Comic Con out there in Melbourne. So it was pretty cool. It was a really, really fun event. Like, you know, not unlike Comic Con out here in uh, San Diego, New York, but, uh, you know, it was a lot of people. Probably like, over the weekend, probably close to, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand people came through. It's pretty crazy. It's crazy. So you're from Pittsburgh, California. Now, now where is exactly Pittsburgh? Well, I was born in Pittsburgh, California. It's uh, Pittsburgh, no H. You know. Okay, because no, I was sitting, cause I looked real quick and I saw yeah. when I stood your your bio Pittsburgh. I said, oh, he's from back east, and I went, wait, Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little kind of it's like a suburb of San Francisco, so it's a good forty minutes outside the the city up north, uh, East Bay. It's like the last. 
uh, stop on the BART train okay. up there. So it's like uh, Antioch, Concord, Wanna Creek, that area, Pittsburgh. So I grew up there when I was a Bay Area boy. Me and my brothers were uh, there for a year. So what, what happened in the 80s, we were a popular breakdancing group. We started our whole career, our whole entertainment career off, you know, off it, the, the very... I'd say entry level to the entertainment industry, which basically is street performing. What made you start breakdancing? Because it's so, it's so you don't hear a lot about breakdancing as much anymore. But I always wonder, you know, in college for me, people, you know, we had a few, some kids would breakdance, but yeah. but to take it up and go in the streets, first of all, one is ballsy as hell, I right? Mean, that's like, and it's like, you know, you sit there and and it looks like it would be a little bit painful at times, and then you have to be in amazing shape because all the stuff you're doing. I mean, do, did you have a lot of dance in your house, or what made you nah, dance? Gravitate? I mean, we're Filipinos, so I think you know we grew up dancing and. Singing and dancing in the living room, I th- think it's just part of the culture that that entertainment side of it. And then in the '80s, if you recall, it was like when breakdancing hit. It was really this like phenomenon that hit the country, the whole country. And so me and my brothers just kind of got swept up in that phenomenon and became a, uh, I don't know, we just we became real popular. We're really young, so during that time, I, my mom did some stats for us that year. We we uh we did all kinds of contests within the you know every weekend that kind of thing and we won 31 or 32 contests in like wow. a year we got picked up by the uh by the san francisco ballet company and we started dancing for the san francisco ballet company we did nutcracker with them uh we danced for the 49ers san francisco well, 49ers danced well, for the oakland a's when you say you did it with the nutcracker did you do it in a break dancing or no, no, that, do ballet they, the, the, ba- the ballet program san francisco ballet which is an esteemed program in the bay area they you know they had a shortage of boys and so they gave us scholarships they went to the streets and they found you know who are the dan- where, where are boy dancers and they're okay. like break dancers and like I said we were a popular group so we got picked up by them and then all I mean at the same time we were dancing for the 49ers we were dancing for the Oakland A's for the, at that time we were dancing uh, a UFL a, a UFL league called a uh, uh, the Oakland Invaders. So you're dancing in front of huge crowds. Yeah, yeah. Now was that intimidating? Because there's a little kid, but you probably had no fear because you're a little, you're younger. But what was that like? Because all of a sudden you're sitting there going yeah. from people on the street to going into like Candlestick Park, or it or was all you know. You're fearless when you're young. I mean, it's scary in front of like Candlestick Park, full on stadium opening, opening, you know, opening gig day game, or or you know, the Oakland A's. We were like we would dan- come out and dance in front of the whole uh, arena, like fourth inning seventh inning stretch that kind of stuff uh yeah but you know in the streets and you know pier 39 telegraph avenue in berkeley you're constantly breakdancing against other breakers on the streets on cardboard boxes with the boom box and people giving money i mean it was just it was just our lifestyle at the time i I don't think i thought about it much were you making some cash we were making money that's when i first started making money when i was super young and then at that time we got uh, as popular as we can probably get in the bay and then we ended up jumping to make the move to LA and that all that being all that being said that all happened before I was the age of 10 so your when your your whole family moved to LA yeah was that because of the breakdancing or, or did you said we're tired of the Bay Area or it was it was both it was we were kind of like it, you know we were kind of like being successful in the dancing world and at the same time it was a rough time for my family and some business deals went sour with my, my parents and their friends some real estate deals so it was like it was a it was a good time to like make a move at the at the beginning my dad gave uh gave us a year's time to make something happen in LA so basically me my you know four of us our brothers we jumped in the van with my mom with like a hundred dollar bill and was like good luck you have a year that's funny it's like yeah especially in LA like where'd you end up what part uh originally we ended up in Buena Park okay and uh La Palma Buena Park we spent a year there and then we had some family in Cerritos so we spent a year there and then we ended up kind of like growing up and going to high school in a town called Paramount which okay. is you know right after 710 so now but when you went to high school did you when did, when did you go to the uh, did you go to the Orange County School of Arts yeah so that we, that was a transfer in like my my Sophomore, I was in the middle of shooting hook actually. Okay, well, okay, well, okay. When you got there, well, let's okay, let's let's go. You before we get to high school, you're 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 down here. Yeah. Now, now, when do you start to decide to act? You're you're doing immediately. I think I think you're dancing. And as soon as you get to LA, you realize you you sign with an agent, and the agent obviously wants you to act. And at that time, my parent, my mom was like, "Well, if you're gonna act, join some acting classes." And the you know the thing about from dance, the movement from dancing to acting just happened quick for for us and for me personally uh but most dancers in la know that sooner or later your dance career you know you're gonna have to evolve to either a choreographer or a 
actor or singer you know, j-lo you know become j-lo right yeah you know it's amazing is, and this is a, this like a small world uh and you guys run on together but i see in your credits you were on the show santa barbara oh yeah classic old and, school but no the, my first guest was on a show for santa barbara for 12 weeks and Ooh. he got fired his name, his name was larry poindexter larry poindexter he, he was on but he was in one like 86 but you weren't so how did that come about i was probably around 86 85 86 uh, 86 87 something like that how did that come about how'd you get and how'd you how'd you break into when was your first gig was that your first acting no my first i mean i was it's i have like one of those classic stories where it's like pretty much the first thing i auditioned for i booked that kind of thing which was at that time was a show called the wizard which was this old 80s show it was a a little person this guy who was a little a little person very popular i forget his name popular uh little person actor i don't know the politically correct term little person's good little person and it was you know one of those detective i mean i don't know mystery shows he was a toy maker I just remember. I think I sort of sounds familiar. You remember, right? it's like it was a show. I had, I'm sure I had a few seasons back in the day, and so I, I auditioned for a role, actually a Native American role, and I booked it. So from that, you know, from that thing on, I just kind of kept rolling. So you sit there, and I saw you did like a CBS School Break special, yeah. and you did the Highway to Heaven. Yeah. You did Booker. Which, yeah. Which that's funny because you played a guy named Ping Pong. Ping, I mean, exactly. It's like it's like back then it was like, can they be more racist? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's they like, couldn't you know, help themselves. It was just like, well, yeah, I mean, at least you played Luis, so you probably played a, a Latino. Yeah, I played. You know, being Filipino, you're like Asian and Latino, so my roles have like kind of switched back and forth from that. Now, was Moonwalker? Was that that wasn't the James Bond movie? No, right? no, Moonwalker was a uh, when I was dancing, we danced for Michael Jackson. Okay. Me and my brother. Okay, and you played. Romeo. Uh, Romeo, yeah, Romeo. What was that from? Moon. It just says Moonwalker. Moon, uh, yeah. So you're you're doing them and you're acting. So you're getting you're getting work and you're a young kid. Yeah. And now you know I know you're you were on the Wonder Years a few times. And yep. Now First season of Wonder Years. Now, did you enjoy that? Did you think that would be such a big hit when you're on? And now we were just kids. You know, I thought it was weird actually. Fresh as the '80s, and uh, you know, it's a '70s show. And of course, our memory of the '70s is like pretty much all our uncles and my dad and like so you know we're, we think we're cool kids wearing 80s gear and then we go to the set and they make us wear converse and right. like <laughs> you know corduroys and like stuff we would never stuff wear, I wore stuff we would never <laughs> wear right so it was just one of those weird things and uh it was the first season of the show it was really really cool I mean Fred Savage young Fred Savage he was cool I ended up doing a movie with him later on again called The Wizard another movie called The Wizard yeah it's crazy so uh, you know it's just part of our generation of young Hollywood I guess now so how did Hook come about because that I mean that was you know the names attached to that yeah I mean, crazy giant. right now did you know when you were getting in the audition for that that there was going to be you know Steven Spielberg was connected to it. Did you know? Um, yeah, I knew Steven Spielberg was doing the Peter Pan movie, and, and it was a big. You know, at that time, it was the biggest movie in town. So it was like, you know, one of those things like auditioning for, I don't know, today, a, a superhero movie, right? You know, something like that. So you kind of know what's going on. You audition for it, and uh, and every kid in town was auditioning for one of the Lost Boys, and of course, I wanted to audition for for one of the roles also. But, uh, yeah, the way it went down was pretty amazing because, uh, you know, actually my little brother auditioned for another one of the roles earlier, and I was like, I told my manager and agent, like, let me audition for anything. Like, I definitely want to, I'd love to be a part of this film. And I ended up getting an audition, uh, auditioned the first time, and then next thing you know, I'm uh, meeting Steven Spielberg. Like, that meeting, like, it's like I audition, and then I meet Steven Spielberg, you know, they had me come to Amblin Studios, the back of Universal lot, to meet Steven with a bunch of other kids and playing video games. And this, you know, this the whole thing, the whole rumor was like Spielberg has this amazing video game place in his office, right? Which he did. You know, you go in and saw these video games. <laughs> and also the other rumor, you know, the, 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 the myth, the Hollywood kid myth, you know, all the games are free. And they were. And you're playing video games and someone taps on the show like Steven, you know, you know, it's ready to meet Steven now. And I walk in there, and I talked to him for a little bit, and he didn't even let me re- want me to read again. He just wanted to meet me and talk to me, and then they offered me the job. It was like crazy. Now that must have been insane. Cause Super I mean, insane. That's like a, I mean, it's a huge. I mean, that was huge. Yeah, it's a dream come true. It's like it's like one of these the stories or one of those movies that people all around the world come to Hollywood to do. It's now, one of those things. Now, where did that movie shoot? Uh, L.A. It was uh, the first film uh, first film that was shot at that was na- which is now the Sony Studios in Culver City so it was just changing to Sony Studios during the movie 
So you do that. Now, do people start recognizing you? Do they still do Yeah. Because those kind of movies, I always say, like, movies like that I get such a huge, it's like that and the sci-fi stuff. They get such a huge following. Right. people just, and you're, I mean, how old are you at the time? Probably. 15 at that time. Okay, so that must have been sort of weird because all of a sudden you're this 15-year-old kid who's breakdancing and all of a sudden you're in this movie. Now, right. was, it, was it a fun shoot? Was it? A great shoot. I mean, we shot for about eight months or so. And uh, even before that, I think I had at least three months of, of sword fighting training and stuff oh, like so that. So you got to do all that cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, training and, uh, you know, rehearsals and stuff like that. So it was a good year of my life, you know. Um, but it was, ama- you know, yeah, it's one of those things that I, you don't even know then when you're doing it, but especially when you're a kid, but the the amount of, f- you know, fanfare that goes on for sci-fi, fantasy, this kind of thing, uh, coupled with some of the stuff I'm doing today is basically, you know, they still fly me around the world to make appearances because of fans of as that character uh, yeah because that character became I mean who would have known but that character Rufio became this iconic kind of character for, for that generation the 90 something kids so you're doing that so now now we'll get back now we'll get to the Orange County School yeah now you already you had already shot Hook I was in the middle of shooting Hook I shot Hook when I was in Paramount, Paramount's kind of a rougher neighborhood, blue-collar neighborhood, and we grew up, a lot of our friends were in gangs, and, you know, people got shot, and, you know, it was, it was the 90s during the whole, I mean, it's still gangs today, but it was a big time in the It's gangs. funny, I've been watching that thing on uh, the Nat Geo channel about the 90s right now, and they right. were talking about L.A., how in the 90s it was insane with the, insane. the gang area, it was just, like, everywhere. Well, it was insane, and if you look at music at that time, it was really pop music, I mean, N.W.A. and Right. You know all that kind of stuff, and Compton being, which was our neighboring city, really kind of blowing up is like uh, it was just in vogue. It's like if you look at the co- you know fashion, everybody, whether you're a gangster or not, like the gangster fashion right. was in baggy pants, flannel shirts. That was it, you know. So, like all the kids, we were not that we were swept up into it, but we were involved in it. Yeah, because it's anything when you're a kid, when you see something like when I was in the '80s, you know, we all wore the. Jackets or, the, yeah. yeah, and this jackets with the the shoulder pads, right? And parachute yeah. pants, and it's not like we, like the brake pants are used to wear parachute pants. Right, right. We, we did brake we pants, were, yeah, we wore parachute yeah, pants. We, for sure. You wore it because it was in your kid. Exactly. You wear what's around you. Exactly. And it influences you, and that's what the culture does. That's what the culture does. And we got you know we were in, we were involved in it, and so we got in some some trouble in the neighborhood. Nothing, nothing. You know, looking back, and even at that time, it was like the trouble we were getting into, like shoplifting and, and right. certain things the like stuff that. Stuff nothing major, right? But it's involved in the whole situation. Right. It could turn bad. So my parents ended up, you know, making us transfer out and going to Orange County and to a school of the arts because we were all actor and dancers anyway. Was it hard to get in there? Or did you have to um, audition we had to audition. We had okay. to audition, but uh, I don't know. Now, how are the kids like you walk in to go in there and you're, you're in Hook? Like right were they like what the hell is this I mean well when I went there no one knew I was, uh, Hook dropped when I my first year that was my junior year okay so it's interesting you know you're a teenager and then all of a sudden a big film comes out with you in it uh, yeah I think you know I think it was you know I don't know I mean I, the great thing is I always you know my brothers I have a brother that's 18 months older than me and a brother that's 18 months younger than me so we all went to school together and we're all actors and artists so I, I really kind of just hung out with them more than not so I didn't really worry about the whole scene too much Although I have, you know, I still have really good friends from high school and whatnot, but I just wasn't, we didn't really need to kind of like. Right, you had, you had your You had your own gang. Right, right. So you you do hook, and that drops, and now you're sort of like this little icon, and you're, but you're 15. Yeah. So, so do you sit there and wonder where your career is going to go, or are you just too young not to worry about it? I mean, you think about it, I mean, we were, you know, I was a serious actor, I mean, we were studying, me, we all studied, you know, a lot, uh, 20 years straight in conservatory, so we always were. I'm still always in the pursuit of what's next, what can you do with your career, but you have no idea what you're going to become, you know? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's been, I've been fortunate to kind of be around for like, I think I've been acting like 28 years now, which is crazy. And how old are you? 38. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's insane, because most yeah. people, I've, I have guys, I've had guests on my show who've been acting for 40, 45 years, but they're they're 70, and they started, you know, getting right, right, at right. 25. You right. started so young, right. and you just, you seemed to parlay it, but do you think, I mean, you, you were you were, you were smart, you wasn't, just, I, I never heard any scandal about you or anything Yeah, like I think it's, you know, I think it's a good family, good upbringing, that kind of stuff, and then also... I don't know. I mean, I've been, you know, my generation of young Hollywood, you know, every, you know, Hollywood works in generations kind of thing. Right. The kids that we kind of grew up with and hung out with, uh, it's pretty safe. I mean, I a few friends that die of overdose or, you know, a few, you know, of course, many friends that left the business and just success ended up, they couldn't, couldn't continue to work. Um, so, you know, every year you kind of stick around, you kind of 
count your blessings and stay fortunate. But uh, but I always think it's good family and kind of like not and staying away from the drugs. We partied a lot. We didn't, we, you know. But also the other thing is our generation, we didn't have TMZ. We didn't have any of that right. stuff. We were just there were certain bars that would let us in, you know, and uh, and no one would hear about it. And it's no not, one it's hear not about like it. if you're if you're if you're 20 and you go into a bar now it's everywhere, but here it's like no yeah, one's in the we were kids. I'm mean, 16, 17, 18. I mean, the generation I'm talking about is like like the circles that we ran around in. You know, was like you know like Leonardo DiCaprio, okay. Toby Maguire, Dave Faustino, Sully Moon, like all these kind of kids. You know that Tyrone we Tan. And Tyrone, yeah, of course. There's a show in the studio. Really? Tyrone, because so, he's in. Okay. Tyrone knows everybody. Tyrone okay. is was one of my the guys that we rolled with uh, back in those days, and he knows all about that clique because we those are those are the that's who we hung out with on the okay. weekend. Seth Green, all these guys. Right. Yeah. So so you're doing that. So now. You're you're going to school, so you're getting a training. So you know, basically, you have the movie in your belt, but it's not like you don't have training. You're you're getting no, you got to train a lot, and you know how to dance. So you're 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 a a dual. You're you got a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I talk it. I I mean, ironically, I mean, I didn't ever. I didn't go to college. I did get accepted to NYU after high school, and I ended up just continuing to stay in LA and work. But nowadays, I just part of like working and auditioning and hustling and producing and writing. I also. Uh, and the appearances I make at like conventions, I also speak at colleges. Okay. Uh, irony, and I spoke at NYU like a month ago, I think. Now, what did you speak about? Uh, you know, it, it's oh, it's always kind of geared around my my life experience and my career, um, but it could be it's usually like three different groups will bring me out. The Asian American group can bring me out, and I'll speak and I'll gear the the, the conversation to Asian America, uh, Asian American youth, basically. Uh, what my career has meant over the last 30 years to the Asian American experience, uh, which I, I didn't even realize what it was until they so started bringing me out. Was it, I mean, have you made a big impact in the Asian American Yeah, community? very very big impact over the last 30 years. Um, then, of course, I can come out and speak to a drama school or an art school and just talk about the, uh, you know, the real workings of the life of an artist. Um, and then also, just like the anime club, or like the animation club will kind of bring me out to talk about all my work I've done over the last few years in uh, in that genre. So yeah, it, as far as like me, that's the other thing about I think my career in specific because I was introduced on a big s- scale to the world and to to the business, uh, you know, through a Steven Spielberg film, which is amazing, right? Kind of like pedestal to come and come out on. But the same token, you know, it's like a flip thing. It's like I have an agents, managers, directors going. You know, if you were white or black, your career would have been a whole different career, just because the 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 amount of roles or the available to you would be there for you. Being Asian American, there's not a lot of roles. Even if you're doing some of the best work or some of the biggest work in town, the next role, who well, we don't know what the next role is going to be. Especially, especially back then when you were you especially were back then. No, I mean you think. I mean I think about it. You know, and I'm a TV junkie. I mean, right. what were like in in the 80s? I mean, I said you were on Greek yeah. though, but who there was a. Uh, Dustin Gwynn was in 21 yeah. Jump Street, but you, well, there's you, no one else, you, you can't even see, name it. You didn't see, like, Saved by the Bell, there was no Asian, right. there was a Latino. There's, and it, you're right, because it wasn't, I mean, everyone, did no one, I guess because Asians weren't in the mainstream. Weren't I don't in know, the mainstream, and I wasn't the typical Asian. This is a, one of the big things that, I, that that come up in the conversations I have talking to Asian clubs is I've been able to do kind of non-stereotypical roles throughout my whole career, and so a lot of, you know, I'll get r- stuff all the time that, a, I was the first cool Asian kid that anyone's ever seen in like media. Uh, no accent, no, you know, just an American Asian kid. Yeah, because you think about it, you know, it's funny because like Asian, I and mean, this whole thing is like in the eighties, you know, sixteen candles, you right. have the, the dong dong long dong, dong, dong. dong, and that's people. Getty Watanabe, who I did, yeah. a, I did a play with a few years ago, which he's great. And he was great he was in gung, uh, He was in Gung Ho and and uh, Gung Ho, which is a great film. But it was one of those things where yeah, that was the, this. It was back then. It was so much easier to stereotype right. you know which is I mean, I mean Long Dong Dong also is a, is a is an iconic character. It's funny. I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's kind of a messed up iconic character, and. I'm glad that I have Rufio, but you know, it's a process of, of who you are in this country, and um, and Asian Americans are still defining who they are, and so you know, you kind of like look and see what we've done so far. I'm, part of my goal now is kind of to help the next generation and figure out, help cultivate our voice in a better way. Well, I think for you also, as I noticed, some of your like you played Moesha, you played yeah. Marco. Now, Marco was probably was it a Latino character or what this was is that character was just based on me. I mean, uh, I how went in for how did oh, how did it happen? Yeah, so that character I was there was I went for like a white character, 
Samoisha was played by Brandy was going from a black, uh, you know, urban, a black school, quote unquote, to a white school in the, you know, that was the, the character line that, I mean, that was the storyline going on for the character and they were casting like white kids to play around her. Of course, I went in to read it and they wanted this one white kid to be more studious and I was like, do you want me to do it like this or do you want me to do it? At the time, I was like, do you want me to do it like Dante style? And they all like laughing and like do it Dante style and then that became Marco style, which became, they just ended up writing a character for me. Um, I don't know, you know, like, that kind of thing happens. Sometimes it, it's good for actors that come in. Sometimes you want to fit the character that they're trying to cast, but many times they don't know what they want to cast. So I tell, you know, actors and yourself, like, do do you. Do what you do best. And sooner or later, they're either the right character and the right role are going to meet up, or, you know, there's something that's going to happen. It's like sometimes you're jumping through hoops for them, and they don't even know what they really want. Right. So they changed that character for you. They yeah, they actually created a whole new character for me. Okay. So it's it's case by case scenario. There's certain roles you really have to cultivate yourself to fit that character, and there's other there's other things that you you doing you is going to be good. Well, because I see as I go through your uh, IMDb, I see yeah. you know you worked and then you were in like Providence, which was more of a drama. Yeah. And you, but I mean, in the beginning, were you playing more of? I mean, you're younger, but you and you probably look younger because you yeah. look young now. I mean, right. You know, you said you're what thirty thirty eight. Yeah, you look you look. 30 i mean it's like you know it's just i mean but it's you know it's just hollywood it's hollywood but uh but so were you you were getting cast in most younger roles though or when did you start getting yeah, more adult roles i'm still you know i'm at that place making that transition even as we speak now i think the last time i played high school i was like 30 29 30 it must be weird because you're, you're with these kids a lot of yeah. kids and you know, it's like you have nothing i had, I had a guest on who was in uh, last oh. american uh teenager's name is grant harvey okay and, uh i think and he had the you know, kiss a girl on the scene, his girlfriend who was like seventeen, right. but he was like twenty five, and he's like, right. "This is just weird." It's like because you have nothing in common with these kids. Yeah, it's, you know, I did the last film. Like I said, when I played a teenager, was a movie called Take the Lead with Antonio Banderas, and uh, yeah, I was twenty nine, and I'll, you know, we were all in high school, and <laughs> uh, and the kids ranged from I think seventeen to twenty. I mean, some kids were like twenty, not kids, they were like twenty three. I think the oldest girl was like 23 or 24. So, uh, but I still look young. And you, you know, you just, it's Hollywood. It's part of what you, what right. you do, you know? So now what was Undressed? Undressed was a series I did for MTV back in the day. Okay. It was like some kind of soap, soapy, like young soap opera thing. A lot of cool people came from that show. I forget. I mean, uh, there's a bunch of, I can't remember exactly. There's a bunch of people that, that, that came off that show, but it was fun. No, were you getting? Now, did you, would you get recognized a lot? Because, like, as I said, shows on MTV they have the big following, and people from in from uh, Hook. People, yeah, people I mean, H- Rufio. I mean, I guess I still look like I did when I was fifteen. Or yeah, something. People <laughs> come up like, "What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you?" Or did you get any perks? Did you get any good stuff? Like, "Oh, here's a good table to restaurant," or let's say you're going to fly and yeah. someone goes, "Hey, we'll put you in first class because we love the Hook." Totally, totally. I'd all, I've done, I got all that. Always, for sure. For Hook, also, again, like, the, the weird thing about my career is, like, I've been around a long time, right? So, when I was young, I had this really iconic character, Rufio, which actually has come back since the 90s stuff has been coming back recently. And there's, like, crazy stuff within the kind of fandom world. This thing called Homestuck, which is this really big underground comic that Rufio appears in. Of course, there's the band Rufio. So, that guy's been around. And then I do this new, I have this series that I did, an animation series I did for Nickelodeon called uh, Avatar The Last Airbender which became this phenomenal hit, the biggest hit that Nickelodeon's had since, like, Spongebob Squarepants. And uh, the character I play on that is a guy named Prince Zuko. Okay. Who's become, just through my voice and the character, he's become iconic, just as big, if not bigger than Rufio, for this new generation of kids, which is crazy. Now, how did you, I saw, because you do a lot of voice work. Yeah. Now, how did you make the transition? I mean, you were, now, the whole time when you were acting... Did you give up dancing or were you still doing some dancing or just you said the hell with it? No, I still dance. I mean, I'm still a dancer. Like, Take the Lead was a dance movie. It was kind of great to kind of go back and dance, you know, on film. I mean, I grew up, one of my big inspirations about becoming an actor was probably John Travolta in Greece and just what, you know, you're a kid. John Travolta, I, I tell kids sometimes, like, you guys don't realize this, but before Michael Jackson hit in 84, 85, John Travolta was the best dancer in the world well I mean but, you know that, that, but that came from Saturday Night Fever Saturday Night Fever Saturday Night Fever and we yeah. were like and you know, we were like oh my god we're like what is this and it was like it made dancing cool, cool. Saturday Night like, Fever and then Grease I mean we used to watch what was that that, that show that 
the John Travolta's teacher, dance teacher, was hosting. Was it Solid Gold or Dance oh, uh, Party or uh, something? It was like uh, Solid Gold. Adrian, Sol- Adrian's no, uh, it was uh, D- Danny Terrio. Danny Terrio. So we used to watch that show just because that was John Travolta's dance teacher. Right. I didn't know that. That's funny because but those shows. They, and the funny thing is, those before that it was a Soul Train, but Soul Train right. was a great show, but it only went to the urban audience. Yeah. And it was like, but you know, if you're a white kid, you're watching. You're like, oh, right. this is great dance. But at that time, like you know, early '80s. I mean, before Michael Jackson hit, John Travolta to us was the greatest dancer on the planet Earth. But uh, he was, he, and he did, he did, and then he, but, and, and he, he was but, cool. And then he came back in Pulp Fiction. He came it, back in Pulp Fiction. And then Urban Cowboy, Urban Cowboy exactly. Southern. I mean, the guy was a trendsetter. But, he was great. But his hairpiece and his dance. Yeah, whenever he dances, even like in Pulp Fiction, or it just changed that whole dance with the anything he dances in, people want to see him dance. So, so you, you said about Michael Jackson. Now, now you worked with Michael Jackson. Yeah, when I was a kid, we danced for Michael Jackson. Now, well, that must have been amazing because he, I mean, when he did, the, when he did the moonwalking on stuff it was sick i mean people didn't people had never seen it no one no. had ever seen anyone i think even old people were like oh my god it was the moon it was just everything you know billy jean dropped it was just uh, you know it's the jackson five and me and my brothers were like you know because there's four of you. Uh, yeah it was a popular family we were a popular filipino family we had a band for years and so the jacksons were you know you had a band yeah now what did you play an instrument uh well we grew up playing piano uh, guitar i could write we we always have the band embellish on. I wrote like probably ninety percent of the songs. The lyrics, I I write most of the lyrics. Um, but we were like a rap singing band. It was called, you know, the Bosco Brothers. So it was it was fun. Um, but so the Jacksons are something we always looked up to, and so Michael, someone that had a heavy impact on on the whole world. What was it like dancing with him though? I mean, it must have been insane because just seeing like a ma- it's the master. Yeah, dancer. you know, it's just one of those things like. I don't even know if that happens anymore. Maybe we just got older, or maybe the entertainment industry has changed, but I don't think there's ever going to be those kind of guys again. Like Michael, like Michael, Madonna, and Prince were like the last, like they didn't even seem real. Yeah, they were, they're iconic. They can't they're be- so iconic. You're looking at them, and you're like, this is not even a real person. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, especially with Prince and Madonna, they yeah. came out of nowhere. We knew who the Michael Jackson was, but when he went solo, it changed right. everything. But Prince and Madonna, when Prince came out, everyone was like, Oh my God! Who's this guy wearing? But all they're purple? bigger than life. Oh yeah, they're you know. Huge. But like it comes from that time. I mean, like it's just music has changed. You know, it's like before you'd have these. You know, whether it be Elvis or the Stones or the Beatles, they have great music. But you have their pictures, and you have all this imagination of who they are to right. you, and they become godly. Now with you know, with MTV and with TMZ, now you all these stars are so human. And right. so faulty that you can't. They're, ne- they're not. They're no longer gods. Well, I think also it also comes from MTV not playing videos. Right. When videos came out, I mean, if if Motley Crue came out now or Van Halen came out now, they would not have the impact because no. back then, where you'd watch them and go, "Oh my God, these guys are," you know, like yeah, Panama, David Lee Roth singing right. across the stage, and you went, "Wow." Well, that's you get a the, rock you get star. a sliver of what they are through their music video and through their. And through the image that they put out there, and through the songs that you not you're just listening to over and over again, and then we our imagination would create right. the rest of what made them gods. Right, and now now there's no imagination, there's no, no god. They're not gods anymore. They're not. There's no video. They're not even. We read so much about who they are and where they're dating and their faults and everything. It's like they're just screw ups like us. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what kind of music do you listen to now? Are, are you a, everything, man? Or? I mean, I love. I still love hip hop. I, I always, you know, I'm. A, I'm I came from the hip hop generation as a break dancer and a lot of ways still consider myself hip-hop artist in my own way uh but of course indie rock i mean i still go back to classic stuff a lot of classic rock stuff um i grew up you know in the bay area so I, a lot of my influences were 70s rock and folk from my my parents and my uh and my my uncles and aunts and stuff like that uh beyond that like modern indie rock i mean i haven't really got into the edm stuff a little bit pop. I mean, I'm. I, I always keep my ear on the on the, what's going on pop wise, uh, but all, all different kind of stuff. I See, think I'm all over the place. It's so funny because with music, I mean, I, I listen to like the classic rock and I listen to you know like the. 80s and the grunge 80s but 90s I mean, my girlfriend was cracking up because I, I, I got cast in a Calvin Harris video awesome and I had no idea who he was yeah I'm, DJ. I'm looking, I know I, I, I find out I'm from I, I see him he's got like 4 million followers on Twitter, crazy and I go hey I, I got cast in this video and she goes who I said Calvin Harris I don't even know who that is and she's like oh my god <laughs> yeah he's weird. actually one of I mean in, uh, of the new guys coming out like these DJs uh, he's one of the guys I really appreciate his music I'm not even sure what these DJs are actually doing right but as far as the stuff he's putting out, I kind of dig because there's a lot of cool pop sensibilities to it. 
So okay, so we want to. I want to get back to the, the voices because yeah. you've done you've done a lot of voice stuff. I mean, I seen your resume. You know, Kim Possible and yeah. you know, and the the Proud Family and you know Lilo and Stitch. But what made you want to? Tr- did, was it something that just came naturally to you? Or it's it's just sheer luck, I think, man. I think it's sheer luck because I don't. I'm not. Tr- I mean, I'm a trained actor, and I'm a good actor. I would I would hope, but I'm not like a trained voice actor, quote unquote. Like I don't have. I don't go into a studio and have like 10 different voices and I do a monster voice and a little kid voice. And, and I've worked with some of these these amazing voice actors, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, uh, you know, Mark Hamill, uh, Great Allow, these these people that are like... Isn't it crazy Mark Hamill now is this huge voice actor? Dude, and he's Luke Skywalker. He's like, amazing. It's yeah. like amazing that he actually sits there and he just said, you know what, his roles were not, you know, Luke Skywalker, he was typecast pretty much. Right. As, so then he just transcends it to a, a whole new direction. He's amazing. I mean, just to sit and talk with the guy, he's, he's very, very cool. I've done... He actually played my father on one of my shows. Now, what was that? Were you a big Star Wars fan? Of course. Now, of course. what was that like meeting Luke Skywalker? Yeah, I tell that. Be, this is one of the stories I tell at like cons and stuff because when I first met him, and again, this is how I remember it. Again, I don't know if I might embellish my memory, but <laughs> I swear this is what happened. <laughs> so we, you know, usually you, you record with a bunch of other actors. This particular day, it's in Burbank, not too far from here. Um, I had to record solo so I'm by myself I do all my lines and then said well the guy's gonna come in and plays your father right and I swear it was a, I should swear it was raining outside it was dark it was right. late <laughs> guy comes in dressed in all black I look up and it's Mark Hamill right I'm like what the heck and it's hi it's not much small talk at first hello hello and we go into the scene and um he's a great actor uh and so we're just going for it you know we're just acting with each other and the scene that that goes on my character Prince Zuko he's the fire lord of, of, the, of our kingdom fire of the fire the fire kingdom and he scars me he basically bans me from the family and he only, instead of killing me he scars me he leaves me with a big scar on my face and I'm I'm doing lines like no father no like just full on emotional thing right then he leaves and I realize I just did the Luke invader scene wow with Mark Hamill <laughs> It's crazy. That's insane. It was insane. It was like one of the greatest memories ever. And you know, you geek out and fangirl inside. And you can, you know, being professional, you're like going to be cool about right. it. And so that was my my first interaction with Mark. Um, since then, I've done a bunch of stuff. I did a whole other series with him, and he's just a great guy. So so many great stories, and so such a cool dude. Well, I look at I look at the the, the IMDb page, which we always yeah. work off of. The, now you were in the Disney Channel games with a, a, a Jake Long. Yeah, Jake Long, the American Dragon, was the first series I did, just a, vo- a voice series, yeah, animation series. No, that was your first series. Yeah, that and was cool. It was like we did like I don't know. Three four years with Disney, uh, and I played this kid named uh, Jake Long who turns into a dragon, which is cool. <laughs> you have to make like, is there like did you turn? Is there a dragon noise you make? Or no, something? I just talk like this. I mean, the funny thing is, I just talk like it was like this hip hop skateboarding kid who just turns into a dragon. It was crazy. That's it's it's so crazy. So, it's, but, but now then, Avatar: The Last Airbender you said became very yeah, popular. Yeah, very very popular. So now through that is that why you started going to a lot of comic cons and stuff like yeah, that yeah I mean through that I hadn't done comic cons really ever my whole career um, and I mean I went out to a few overseas throughout the years just because when someone gives you a ticket to London or Australia or New Zealand you're like to sign autographs sure yeah. now what's that like I mean I, I've, I've always heard the comic can it's so funny because comic con itself in San Diego I lived in San Diego 13 years yeah. ago and comic con was small now it's giant huge but the fans are so they're such uh Fanatical. Yeah. What is that like for you when you go to like to sign autographs? Are people just like, do people like do like the pictures? Like my buddy of mine's on Teen Wolf right now. Okay. I'm Troy, and he gets people drive, drawing him like pop art and stuff yep. like that. But people just sit there that they come and bring you stuff or yeah. what's it like? Yeah. People bring you all kinds of stuff. Any weird stuff? Or they uh, bring you food? I mean, yeah. There's uh food. Yeah. You know, they give you food sometimes. Like I was in, you know, like just recently in. Australia, the, they one of their popular little candies out there is called Tim Tams. So a few people brought me Tim Tams, which I like. So that's cool. Um, people, they they draw stuff for you, which is called like fan art or fan, you know, or write stories, fan fiction. Um, some cool stuff that you know, I like. Okay, this last one, I got some guy made me a sword out of like. A- a real sword? A real, oh, it's like a small sword and a casing and everything. He made this from scratch and painted it. And is that from the Airbender? Or? It's inspired by the Airbender. 
So this guy named Christian who was cosplayed. Cosplay means like costume play. He was dressed in the, the character of Prince Zuko. Um, and he made me a sword, which was awesome. Uh, this one girl in Tampa or in Florida uh, named Momo, she's great. She made she a lot of my characters I've done. She made uh, rubber duckies, like painted them. Like your character? Uh, yeah, like four or five different characters in my career. So she they're on my like shelf. See that's cool. Now, <laughs> it's now, cool, when, cool like, stuff like that. When you did uh when you did Avatar, the last yeah. uh, Airbender, when you got the first you know, the first one you got cast in it, mm-hmm. did you think it would make such a big no, impact? No, zero. What did, what did no you idea. Sit there and you go, and no. was it a long audition process? Or? No, I don't, not even that long. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, yeah, you go and you read for it. I mean, you know, you've been around this town. You just audition, we audition for tons of things every week and you book jobs all the time and we, we continue to work. I mean, the ones that have impact on people have impact on people and become, you know, whatever, successful or iconic or legendary in their own way. I don't think we, any of us, we don't ever plan right. for that we're just doing another gig and certain gigs you know that that's the thing you know a lot of people go that come to this town and they want to go it's all about being lucky and, I, and i'm going and i say yeah it is but you don't mistake like don't get it twisted being good is not lucky right you understand and like, you have to be out there yeah getting good like getting training being a good actor, a good singer, like that's not lucky. What the luck is, is that you book the, uh, the, the right, right role. The right role and the right actor comes together at the right time. That's the luck. But you're, you know, you're putting luck. A lot of people come and just say everything. I just need to show up and hopefully I get lucky. I mean, this is not about winning the lottery. Right, exactly. You know, get good. If you get good, you're going to get luckier, obviously. Now, when you did the Jake Long and then you do the... Uh the Airbender. Now, mm-hmm. are you do you now become a in demand voice actor? Do people know of you and say, okay, we want this guy to do? Or I, was it easy? Did people just call you the projects for the? Uh, sometimes, you know, there's certain things that go out that they'll call me for certain projects or there's certain. I mean, because I only have one voice, some people want my style of voice, even if they don't want me for that kind of character, which is cool. I mean, I'm still like an on screen actor, right? So. The voiceover stuff, although it's been very lucrative for me and I've been very fortunate to to uh, to have success there, it, it's still all all a bonus to right. me. Yes, you know? yes, and you did Zevo three. Yeah, and that was a TV series. Now, so you're doing these. So now, when do you start getting? When do you start concentrating on uh, the acting, acting again? I'm sure the voice thing. With I mean, they say yeah. it's a good thing, but it's a time consuming. Yeah, it still goes on. I mean. I was always auditioning for new things, always, you know, shooting other TV shows, and I actually have a production company in Hawaii now called uh, Kinetic Films, which uh, is essentially a, an Asian American Pacific Islander film company, and we produce three films. Um, I wrote two two different ones. I starred in two different ones. So, uh, you know, it's like you just kind of c- constantly, consistently kind of work at it. Um, I wrote a play called Midnight Makeout Session that had a few sold-out nights um, earlier i mean late last year and just gonna open for a run downtown la in the summer uh which i'm starring in the play and i wrote the play so it is always you know i just try to stay creative uh one of the other things well in that play all the monologues are spoken word pieces so i started the biggest poetry venue in the country about about 17 years ago 18 years ago okay were, were you a were you a poet were you a, were you a street poet or what a street poet yeah spoken word now we, when did you start doing that when, uh, right age? out of high school, yeah, in the '90s, you know, we, you know, they started having these little lounges pop up, and you know, all the cool artsy girls are there, so we follow girls there. And again, I was a rapper, so I just go and, and I went in and listened to some poems. I ended up getting on stage and then doing some poems, and that, you know, that kind of spiraled into this thing where I, I, I started a venue in the '90s, right? Uh, essentially, out of my house at times in little cafes and it's become this thing DPO the Poetry Lounge which is the largest open mic venue in the country was one of the inspirations that became Deaf Poetry Jam on HBO okay um, matter of fact this weekend coming up uh, our poetry festival goes on LA, uh, the LA Ink Slam and so we have an uh, opening party on Wednesday night Sonos is throwing for us Sonos speakers uh, so that, again that's another thing that I've kind of been a part of like for a long time. Now, do you still do poetry? Do yeah, you still I still write do. It? I still do poetry. I have some published books. I have one published book, and I haven't, I'm working on my second one to come out. Now, what made you make the decision to open a production company? I mean, and you had a lot of things going on, and, and it's such a uh, the producing of a film. It's it's not an easy thing. Like I, I produce a live show yeah, once a month. I, I produce this oh, really? show this show live at uh, at uh, 
Bob, uh, it's called Bob's Espresso. Okay. It's in North Hollywood. And it's cool. owned by, remember the movie uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont? Yeah. Well, it's owned by Damone, Robert Romano. Oh, very cool. And I Damone. Sat, yeah, my first week was. That guy's classic. Yeah, my his first, leg shake. Yeah. Remember just, his leg shake? Yeah, it was great. He was a great guy. <laughs> and he, he really, he really, he has a poetry night. He's stuff like that. He really helps the arts. And I, I do it, I've done it once a month, just yeah. the last two weeks. And, and that's something to pain because you sit there and you go, you know, you worry about getting people out and stuff like that. And then this is easier because it's me and a guest. But for you, you know, with a production company, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you have to you have to make sure it gets set up. You have to contact people. Yeah. You have to make sure you get a good script. And then if you want to act in it, I mean, how did you, I mean, what makes you, when you see a script, I mean, you said you wrote a few, but what, do you sit there and read a script like the first few pages and go, okay, I want to produce this? Yeah, I mean, you know, what happened was uh, uh, my partner, uh, James Serino in Hawaii, he came to me with a script ultimately a few years ago and wanted to do this independent film. And, uh, and I liked the film, but, you know, I, I explained to him, he's a... He, he created one of the biggest independent um, commercial houses in Hawaii, right? He's a, but he's a USC grad, so having a successful commercial house isn't enough. He wants to make movies, which I understand. Like, we all want to make movies. So he came to me with a script, and I said, James, you know, the whole idea of this whole making one indie film, going to Sundance and getting it sold and becoming... Whatever, Tarantino or... You know, or becoming Blair Witch or right. Napoleon Dynamite. Like, that's like an old dream from, like... That's like 15 years ago. That's not. I mean, you go to Sundance now, and it's like all everyone's these, there. All the stars are there. Well, independent films aren't independent films. These aren't million dollar films. These are these are independent studio films. These are right. ten million dollar films. Like this is not a hundred thousand dollar film that someone's doing with friends and stuff like that. So I said the the new idea of how it's going with social media and how the new world's looking um, in light of like Napster and all this kind of stuff and how it's going online is it's not about having one film. Let's do a slate of films. Let's do micro budgeted let's go into a niche what we have leverage leverage in which is you know asian american pacific island let's do passionate projects for this niche audience at micro budgeted prices and let's try to win that way when hollywood wants our niche they're going to come to us but trying to do this other thing and you know try to break through the system that way is is a harder sell it's really a, a lottery pick sometimes you know let's have something we can have control over and really the goal is to be able to make films consistently and be able to recoup consistently and uh, sooner or later you know one of our films can help transcend to the next level and then we'll be there and then you keep doing more slates of films and that kind of thing so I sort of that, that idea so that's what we've been doing over the last two years what made you pick Hawaii I mean just because well he has uh, you know he's he a big commercial, house, commercial yeah. house there but also it's we're an Asian American film company so have you been to Hawaii no uh, so if you go to Hawaii and I tell Asian, one of the things I speak about all the time at, uh, when I speak at colleges, Asian American groups, is you got to go to Hawaii. Because Hawaii is the only place in the world, really, that Asian Americans are the majority of the population. Like, we're all, like, I'm Filipino, like, Korean kids, trans kids. Like, you can go home to where you're, wherever you're from, and it's great, it's cathartic, and I love going to the Philippines, but you're American. As soon as you get off the plane, right. like, I don't know what's your background. I'm, I'm English, German, Austrian, yeah. and Yugoslavia. Which is great. You go back, which you should go home, and you should see, find your roots. But when you, as soon as you go there, they're going yeah, looking at you like, yeah. you're American. The same right. thing happens in Asian countries, Spanish countries. So, but when you go to Hawaii, these are all Asian Americans in Hawaii. And it's, uh, and, I, and I tell them, it's a thing you don't even feel, you don't even know. But subliminally, there's something that happens in your mind where there's no real glass ceiling there. Every bank you go to, every restaurant you go to, every radio station you go to is owned by an Asian person. So it's a different mindset. I always tell people it's no mistake that I don't think it's coincidence that the first non-white president of America came from Hawaii. Right. Because it just it, the you know it's one of those things that I just feel it's great and and being able to place films in Hawaii because it's majority Asian American, I can put any two characters in a movie uh, whoever ends up the leads in the movie that end up kissing at the end of the film could be Asian. We don't have to talk about it at all because it takes place not unlike a Woody Allen film taking place in the Upper East Side of New York. It's Jewish cast. We right. don't say it's Jewish because it's Upper East Side of New York and that's Woody Allen and his crew. So it's the same thing. It's like we could do these films, these American films with Asian leads and not have to be about Asian you know, Asian stories. And if we place it in Hawaii, we don't talk about it. It's just, we're just showing the world a new part of the country in a do, new different light. Now, when you do shoot in Hawaii, do you use actors from Hawaii mostly, or do you have people come from the U.S.? We fly people in. Okay. We fly people in, and we use people from Hawaii. We do both, depending on the on the on the. 
cast. No, because I saw you on an episode of Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, I did Hawaii Five-0 out there. And I know the the big heavy guy. Who yeah. Was, I heard he was never like even an actor. He just owned a food truck or something like that. Yeah, well, he, uh, he's a funny guy. Uh, I don't know what he was. I think he... Oh, no, he did tell me. You know, he was a sumo wrestler. Okay. And he I, and I was talking to him about sumo. I mean, you know, he, he ran with rough crowds in Hawaii growing up. as a lot of lo- the local kids. You know, it's a rough, it could be a rough place in this very... Enchanted place. Enchanted yeah. place. It could be rough. I mean, there's drugs and there's all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but the other thing is they all like to fight. Like, something about being on the island is a very masculine, virile thing. You know what's <laughs> weird? I What's weird for me, I noticed, was because uh, a lot of them are Samoans. Samoans, yeah. And I this is weird, and it's just totally off the subject, but I was watching a college football game one time. Right. And in Brigham Young... So, so there's Samoans. a ton of Samoans. There's team. a lot of Mormon Samoans. Okay, was, it was, just, it was yeah. odd because you think, you think Brigham Young. There's a think, Brigham you know, Young University in Hawaii. That's, oh, is there? Yeah. Okay. That's how many s- Mormon Samoans there are. I mean, on the north side of the island is BYU. A university, full BYU University. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So what, what we were talking about. Which I probably would rather go to than the Salt Lake City one. Oh, yeah, it's a lot cooler. I mean, it's like, you're in Hawaii. Like, you're like, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to, yeah. who wants to go to this Utah? Even like the beer they drink is like yeah, yeah. watered it's down. a little bit, yeah, it's less alcohol. <laughs> Although I've shot at Utah a few times. They're nice folk, nice folk. Yeah. So so how many movies have you produced right now? Uh, three so far. Okay, and now are they out in video? or The first one came out on iTunes. You can watch it. It's called Hang Loose. And what's that about? Starring me and uh, Kev Jumba. Uh, it's about uh, me getting married uh, to this kid's sister and us going on an adventure in Hawaii. It was kind of like Swingers meets uh, Hangover in Hawaii, Asian-American style. Now, did you write that? I co-wrote it, yeah. Okay. So now, do you find it easy writing or do you, does it drive you crazy? Because you, the bottom line is if you're writing it and producing it, if it comes out and someone pans it it's like it's all and yeah. if you're in it it must be like it must be no, I mean I co-wrote it I, I don't worry too much about it you know first and foremost I'm an actor I love writing I think it, the writing came through my poetry days and uh, and I, like my plays like being well received right now um, I, I love writing but with these pop films I don't really sweat it too much because they're pop films right you know I tell I'll tell critics and even my, my partners like look these are films that we all know it's not this this script doesn't have to be brilliant it's not about being a brilliant script because these are pop films it's about having fun it's about the you know the the real risque thing is seeing asian faces be the lead of the film you know that's the most that's the crazy thing it's not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel we're actually trying to just be a part of the wheel how about can we be a part of the wheel and and the other thing is writing something funny and you know the way we cast actors now a lot of the actors are improving certain scenes and so it's about trying to capture magical moments you know I tell young I tell ourselves when we're shooting and other young filmmakers when we're shooting it's like you think you have a great you think you know what your favorite film is but it's not really your favorite film it's your favorite moments in a right. film. Every day on the set, we're just trying to get a good moment. At the end of the filmmaking process, hopefully we have a really good film. Hopefully we have one or two great moments. If you have like, you know, ten great moments, you did The Godfather. You know, oh, yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. But if you could have one great moment that's memorable to an audience, I mean, your first time directing, we're, we're good. Let's keep right. going. That kind of thing, you know. It's like, stop trying to be this greatest filmmaker of all time coming out the block. Look, let's just go every day and try to shoot, get our day, and have something magical happen Right. that we can we can capture. Well, now, the play you were talking about, what was the play called again? It's called Midnight Makeout Session. And uh, and you star in it? I do star in it. Um, I wasn't really originally going to star in it, but it kind of helped get it, get it produced. So, uh, and I, I would love for you to come when it opens up at the end of August. It's basically about these friends, 30-something friends, in LA kind of disenchanted with the whole scene and trying to get back to like the romance in their life so the whole play is about they, 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 they're trying to get back to the romance with their first kiss and so they decide to throw this midnight makeout session like a junior high school midnight makeout session with their friends all about slow dancing slow jams and that kind of stuff now how'd you come up with that idea to write it? I wanted to do it in real life I wanted to do this in real life, and I didn't. I wasn't able to accomplish it. I did accomplish aspects of it at times, but you mean with someone you wanted to get the, you wanted to get the actual feeling in real life. Yeah, like me and my brothers, we we did it. We used to, you know, we lived together in a house for years. It was like a fraternity actor's house, like open door, like actors and musicians sleep on the couch, that kind of stuff. And we'd always talk about because we grew up in the L.A. club scene. You're like, man, what happened? Like it's a whole thing. When you watch the play, you'll see it's like you sleep with girls, you don't even know who they are. You're like, whatever happened to 
us being up all night talking about girls slow dancing like whatever happened to slow dancing you spent so much time in high school trying to just slow dance with a girl now there's no slow dancing like what happened to those songs what happened to that time what happened to kissing a girl and feeling that feeling and see what's great about that is also it it, it goes across any generation like when i was in college man at at the school at our college yeah when spandau ballet's true came on you were boom the girl you like you're like boom um and if you got shot right you didn't care you were going and that's the truth people don't do that anymore they don't do it anymore so we're trying to get back to that and the whole thing about the play is i wrote it in a sense it's very kind of rocky horror picture show-ish so the audience becomes part of the play so all the rules that we kind of come up in the play the audience should should adhere to the rules of the midnight makeout session, and then by the end of the play, my goal as a writer is to have everyone in the house slow dance with each other and make out at the same time. Like we we, we See, have that's own, cool. That's, that's a great. That's a great idea. And now you uh, you st- did you get friends of yours to start it with you, or is it did you audition people? Uh, we audition people. I mean, I wrote it for my friends, so. I have some of them in the play. We have auditioned some other people. So it's a mix of, of friends and, and new folk. But uh, it's pretty exciting. Now, are your brothers still in the business? All my brothers. Actually, one of my brothers is in the play. Okay. Yeah. So do you guys have a good working relationship? Do you still do stuff together? Great or? stuff. I just, um, you know, we've we've done a few projects together. Uh, they've all written and produced their own projects also. I, I executive produced a, a docuseries uh, last year where I brought all the family back to the Philippines. And we shot a whole docuseries of... My four brothers, my sister, my parents, going back to the Philippines for the first time and having this really cathartic experience. The whole, the whole thing I was promoting is like, we're American, we're a nation full of immigrants. Go back home, go to, go back to where you're from, and you're gonna have uh, an amazing connection to where we're from. You know what I'm saying? But also, it's gonna ironically give you a, a connection back to America because you're gonna also reconnect with why we're American at the same time so it was a great it was a great experience it was a very stressful experience I can imagine it was a lot of drama and uh, actually the footage got sold to uh, a network in the Philippines and so it got played as a series out there but I want to maybe we might re-edit it just release it as like a docu-film or something like that give me just a few minutes left um, so what, what's coming up in your near future so uh, the play's coming up which I'm focused on right now um, there's a bunch of other animation stuff that I've done recently that are coming out. I'm actually in the midst of producing a, a, an animation feature for the Rufio Project. A script came to me, which is the Rufio, pro- the Trihog Project, which is the Rufio story, but in an animation musical form. So we're producing that. I just finished a, a writing a movie called Red Roses for a kid named AJ Raphael, which I'll be in with him. So we're looking to get that produced and shot by the end of the Comedy year. Comedy or? Or musical. Okay. Um, and beyond that, you know, just continuing the good hustle of Hollywood. Now, how do, do you have a website? Yeah, go to DanteBosco.com. Could be just a few minutes. I, we have like three All minutes good. left. So, so yeah. So, uh, so the the Red Rose is so. Is this your is your first musical you've written? Uh, yeah, and I didn't have to write the music, which is great. Uh, the thing is, uh, we've been working with well, the Asian American scene. There's all these big Asian American YouTube stars, and so there's some that we've met. And we've we've started creating. Uh, vehicles for them so this kid Asia Raphael has become a really good friend is a really popular musician on YouTube Filipino American kid and his first album which really did great on iTunes I think just independently he sold like 25,000 units or something crazy and uh, so I took that album and I wrote a movie around the album so it's pretty cool it should, awesome. be, it should be cool I bet you know we come from a time where it's like we know that kind of stuff it's like we we had Purple Rain Right. You know, yeah, believe me. So the classic. whole thing is, is like nothing is new. It's just uh, all the things that we were inspired in, let's try to reinvent it for a new time, you know, relook at it for new artists and and uh, I started a, a collective called the uh, We on the 8th, which is an Asian American collective that meets the 8th of every month, which is meeting tonight downtown LA and it's about uh, getting this YouTube generation together with the traditional media generation and what we did is we 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 on the 8th. We took over the 8th of the month for Asian media in America. That's awesome. I want to thank you for coming on. I'm glad thank we you. got together. It was the last minute. He, he bailed me out, people. Patrick O'Sullivan hooked us up, and uh, it was great. And he just got back from Australia. So was it, was it were you jet-lagged? Were you yeah, I mean, 16-hour flight kind of sucks. But, uh, you know, when, when, when Patio calls up, you know, I have to answer. All right. Thank you for coming out. And, uh, and Twitter, did you tweet? Yeah. Get at me at Dante Bosco. Okay, follow him. Also, people, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. You can follow me. I tweet a lot. I tweet a lot of jokes, I write. Also, if you go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have about 270 episodes up there. 
Uh, go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word Cooper Talk. You can also listen in that way. If you have an Android app, or an Android phone or Android uh, pad tablet, just go and write Cooper Talk, and my app comes up. Once again, it parlays right to my uh, episodes. And also, every Tuesday, it's uh, Crappy Comedy at Jimmy's Place. I host that, and I just bring a few friends in, and we just screw around and tell some jokes. And put it on your calendar. Uh, July 16th is the next live Cooper Talk. It's at uh, Bob. Bob's Espresso right there on Lancashire Boulevard in uh, North Hollywood. My guest will be Jordan Brady, who wrote the documentary I Am Comic, and his new documentary I Am Road Comic just came out. Old friend, we'll be having good times. So, yeah, so thanks for listening. You guys remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, be happy, have a wonderful, safe, and sound weekend. It's time for me to get some lunch.